Okay, the parsha is uh, the parsha b'chukotai. This is the the parsha where people in Chutzlaretz and people in Eretz come together, right? For uh, the reason it was arranged that way is because the tradition. There's a tradition that says that Shavuot always comes out in the parsha Bamidbar, the first parsha Bamidbar. So at the end of Vayikra, the whole world has to be at the same place. So tomorrow, Shabbos is the day that they catch up. They do Bahar B'chukotai. We already did Bahar, so we only do B'chukotai. It's interesting. I mean, everybody thinks there's only one Jewish nation, but you see, it's not always the case. So we're, we're doing the parasha B'chukotai. And the parasha begins, the Psukim. Take a look at, look at the Pesach at the top of the sheet, the B'chukotai Kalechu. Red mitzvotai tishmeru, vasitim otam, three stitches. In the same pasuk, in the chukotai telechu. Okay, the word chukotai is not the obvious word to be used, but maybe it's because the same pasuk says red mitzvotai tishmeru. Right? So they, you know, instead of using the word mitzvot twice, once it says chukim and once it says result, but I mean I'm just telling you that off the top of my head. Vasitemotam, and you will keep them and you will do them. And so eventually, vinatati gishmechem bi'itam. So there'll be a reward. So this introduction, these introductory psukim in the parashah b'chukotai are about the reward that you get for doing what the Torah says. And the reward that you get for doing what the Torah says is v'natati gishmechem bi'itam and other things, natati gishmechem bi'itam, it'll rain, whatever it means, bi'itam, in its time, in its right time. It's not so clear. Well, we'll look at Rashi to see at least a clear position about what these words mean. So Rashi asks a question, in mechukotai v'helechut, he says, I don't get it. What is Bichukotai Telecho refer to? What is it that, what are the Chukotai and what is Telecho? Because usually, if we're talking about mitzvot, the reasonable verb is Ta'asu, Tekaimu. What is Telecho? What is Halicha, going along? have to do with mitzvot. So Rashi says, Yechol, this is the, a medrash kind of lingo. The Tanchuma says this all the time. It says, Yechol zekiyum mitzvot. Maybe the Pasuk is talking about keeping mitzvot. Kishehu omer vet mitzvot tai tishmeru arekiyuma mitzvot amur. So that's in the second part of the Pasuk. What do you have? So, so how can you say? I mean, Rashi doesn't like that. You know, Rashi doesn't like things to repeat themselves in different words. He says, since the pasuk says et mitzvotai tishmeru, so in bechukotai teilechu must be talking about something else, not about doing mitzvot. So, what is the what is the something else, right? Hey, ma ani mekayim in bechukotai teilechu. It's also Rashi lingo. What is it, in fact, that I say about the phrase in b'chukotai te'lechu? 
Shetiyu amelim b'Torah, and this created some kind of new idea that we never heard of before. I mean, it's in it's in Chazal, but I mean, Rashi changes our our whole view of things because because et mitzvotai tishmori, et mitzvotai I mean, I understand what it means. You you have to learn enough Torah to be able to do the mitzvot properly. And that's what Tishmoru means. Tishmoru. What is Amelim Batorah? In other words, let me say it this way. Ed Mitzvotai Tishmoru means there is a limit. In order to do the mitzvot, you have to know the Torah of those mitzvot. That's clear. Right? That was the argument. That was the argument used by the Shluchim of the... Um, Lubavitcher Rebbe in Tunisia when they argued that you had to open a school for girls. In, in other words, the, not the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, but his father-in-law was the first Lubavitcher who sent shluchim to places. And the shluchim came to Tunisia and they said that we have to start schools. So the Rabbanim in Tunisia, the Rabbanim in Tunisia uh, said, great, we'll open a yeshiva for the boys. They didn't have any schools, so they did. And then the Shaluchim, the Rebbe Shaluchim said, now we have to open a school for girls. So the rabbis in Tunisia said, no, you can't open a school for girls. Says the girls in Tunisia don't go out of the house. They, they leave the house when they get married. Until they get married, they stay at home. And, uh, and uh, uh, if they go out, they go with their mothers. They go to, you know, the canyon in Malcha with their mothers. Can you imagine such a thing? Only with their mothers. Uh, not like today. You go with your mother if she has a credit card. But not because you think it's the right thing to do. Quite the contrary. In any event, in any event, so the rabbis, the, the shluchim, the shluchim said uh, that they, they didn't know what to do. I mean, they knew this was crazy because they knew that the girls who grew up and learned halacha from their mothers didn't really know anything. So they gave them an exam. They gave them like a citywide exam, wherever they were. And the girls, generally speaking, failed. The girls had never gone to school, so the rabbis agreed that you could open a school for girls as well. So it's clear, it's obvious, it's uh, self-evident for us that in order to do the mitzvot properly, you have to learn something. You can't. But that learning, that learning has a limit. It is possible to say, I know how to do the mitzvah. It is possible. There are people, most people in fact today, because there's so many different ways to learn it, can do the mitzvot properly. So that this phrase in the Pasuk, this phrase that says, Ve'et mitzvotai tishmeru, is a kind of a tishmeru, if it's about learning how to do the mitzvot, is limited. You learn to do the mitzvot, and once you know how to do the mitzvot, you can stop. So Rashi says, Rashi says that this pasuk indicates 
that there's another aspect to learning about how to do the mitzvot, and that is called, Rashi says, Amelim Batorah. That Rashi says, I'm sorry, Shetiyu Amelim Batorah. What does Amelim Batorah mean? What does it mean? It means limitless. Amelim doesn't have a limit. Tishmeru has a limit. It has a limit. You, you know when you know. And then you could stop. But Tishmeru has no limit. Amelim has no limit. And that's the big innovation that the Rishonim Rashi made in this, in our understanding of Talmud Torah. That Talmud Torah is not something that is functional only. It is functional. It's about learning things, about learning how to do things. That's Talmud Torah. But according to, according to Rashi, there's another aspect to, he doesn't call it a, a mitzvah in itself, but it is. We know that it's a mitzvah in itself, and, and the Rashi says, Amilimba Torah, meaning you just do it. You have to do it, work at it, and work at it more, and work at it more, and, and, and that's what we do today. I think, I think that there's a conflation of these two things, that people today have become very interested in details. Details are very, um, I don't know what the proper word is. Details seem to be very attractive. They seem to be very comforting. If you know more and more details, so that learning more and details have become the same thing. Right, the same thing, and that's why people enjoy learning the Mishnah enjoy learning Halakha, enjoy uh, uh, much more than learning Gemara, for example, because Gemara, in Gemara, you don't quite get to the point. Right, so what do you do? So what's the answer to the question? Uh, Gemara doesn't help you much with that, and so I think that some people go for it. They like the theology of Gemara. Uh, but most people find it wearying and they like halacha more because halacha is about what am I supposed to do? Like you feel you get something out of learning halacha. Like you, you, know what, you know something. You know what you're supposed to do. Even if you're not so, so uh, into the uh, doing what you learned in halacha, but you still feel better about learning that you do this or you do that than studying Gemara where you don't usually get to any kind of conclusion. You just end up, it's always the machloket. It's always the, you know, the difference of opinion. So that's what, that's what Rashi tell, tells us. Rashi continues with this idea, the second part of the Pasuk, at Mitzvotai Tishmirun, Hevu Amelim Batorah he puts it together. You should be devoted to the study of Torah in order that you should be able to keep the Torah properly. etc., etc. Okay? The next pasuk, next pasuk, right? It'll rain be'itam. Itam means in its time, in the proper time. Be'itam in the proper time of the rain. So Rashi says, what does that mean? What does that mean? Right? 
the, during the time that people generally stay home, they usually stay home on Friday night and the nights of, of Yamim Tovim. What is Rashi talking about? What is Bi'itam according to Rashi? It's a strange comment, no? Convenience. It, meaning what? People aren't inconvenienced. By, by the rain. rain. Mm. That's true. So what is Rashi? So what is the Pshat in the puzzle? It sounds to me like the simple explanation would be it's supposed to rain, it'll rain. When it's not supposed to rain, it won't rain. The people who deal with agriculture, for example, this is very important to them. It's very important to know that it rains when it's supposed to rain. And it doesn't rain when it's not supposed to rain. So what is Rashi, what is Rashi saying? What's bothering Rashi? They used to say when I was younger. What's bothering Rashi? That's what happened in my school. So what's the, what's Rashi's problem? What is Rashi's problem? Your rain. Go on. Your rain. My rain? It says, no, it's not Gishmechem. Like, it belongs to the people, so it's the people's time. No, I understand what you say, but I, I think that the simple explanation is, is the rain that you expect and it will come when you expect it which sounds it, it was, there's going to be a secondary question here in these psukim these psukim that we're going to learn and that is about reward ba'olam hazeh can reward be contrary to nature if nature is the way God created the world could we have expectation? Could we expect that reward would go beyond regular? So Rashi is saying no. I, I know Rashi is avoiding the possibility that the right shot is that it'll be something great, something different, something unexpected, and it'll be within the expected there's a more advantage, advantageous way and a less advantageous way. The more advantageous way is for it to rain when you're home and you don't need a brolly. And the less advantageous way is when you are out in the middle of the street. It's not raining. From the point of view of rain, it's the same. But from your point of view, maybe it's different. That's what Rashi says. Rashi, look at Rashi Bi'itam. Right, that's when people are home, so that's that's when it's going to rain. So you don't get drenched in the rain. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think that Rashi is is pointedly trying to avoid the idea that the sachar ba'olam hazeh goes somehow against nature against Teva, against the way God created the world. But Sachar has to be within the framework of the, of the creation. Isn't uh, it, yes? Isn't the Sachar promised within nature and it would be the Onesh that would be antithetical to I don't know, we'll get to the, well, maybe we'll get to it, but not, I don't think tonight, but maybe, maybe not. We'll see in a minute uh, a, a more relevant uh, Something is more relevant. But everybody knows that there was a mabul. And that the mabul was rain. 
and it would seem that the rain uh, that the rain was extraordinary and after that rain God promises Noah that there won't be such a rain again that kind of punishment will not take place again so I think it's relevant it's relevant for your point uh, there is the fact I mean you could argue you could argue that the first pasuk in the Torah, the second pasuk in the Torah, that pasuk, that pasuk ends with the Ruach Elokim Rachevet Al Panei Hamayim. Now, that was a pasuk that described the situation, the creation before the creation. In other words, there was, everything was covered up with water when God said, that's the order of the psukim. So that the Mabul, the Mabul, even though it was extraordinary in terms of the amount of rain, it produced a situation which pre-existed, which was that everything was covered by water. Does that make sense? I mean, if you want to argue that God does not act against the creation that God made, that God could act against it, but God does not. Because that's what it means, that's what a divine decision means. That it is the way God wanted it to be. Why does it bother Rashi that God might live him with the laws of nature? I don't know why. I mean, I assume that it's because Rashi had an opinion about that. You want to know where Rashi got that opinion from? Okay, so there's a lot of, we'll see in a minute, more information about that. Uh, we'll get to it in a minute. I want to just, uh, uh, again, Rashi says, the second part of the Pasuk is, the second part of the Pasuk, <laughs> So what is that? The earth will give forth its yield. Is that something good? or something regular, something extraordinary, or something that has to be. The third of the Pasuk, third part of the Pasuk is What does that mean? I mean, does it mean regular? You have an apple tree, so it produces apples. So what, is that a, a reward for doing good things, for doing the right things? It doesn't seem like much of a reward because it seems like it's a regular. So regular is not reward. So what is it? So Rashi, Rashi is a kind of a, uh, you know, being Rashi, he can get away with this, but no one else could. So Rashi says, Eitzah Sadeh Heim Ilanei Surak. What are Ilanei Surak? Non-fruit-bearing trees. Now what are non-fruit-bearing trees? A, a mistake? I mean, why do you want to have non-fruit-bearing trees? For wood. What? Wood. Okay. What if you, what if you, you don't have to destroy the fruit-bearing trees to build a wooden house? Okay, it's good. I, li I like that. But you could say otherwise. And that's what Raji is saying. Atid lasot perot. What is atid lasot perot? 
it will be a fruit-bearing tree in the future. In other words, according to Rashi, according to Rashi, there's no reason to have Ilan Esrak, because even if you need wood, right, you could have wood of fruit growing on a tree, that is wood. So whether you could destroy the tree or not for wood is a halachic uh, uh, matter, but if there were none, no other kinds of trees, so I guess he would be able to cut them down for the wood. But the Rashi, Rashi says, So Rashi says there's a real reward here. There's a real reward. You're going to get fruit where you never expected to get fruit from Ilane Srak. That's what, that's what Rashi says. So, so as opposed to the rain, the rain, you're not going to get any real benefit from the rain except that you'll have less discomfort. Right? You won't have to go out in the rain. You, don't have to, you won't have to go and get wet. Uh, but Ilane Srak, Rashi had a problem. He said, well, what's the, it's a what's the big deal if the trees in the field have fruit? So that's it. So that's what he said. So you see there's another problem about, in these sukim, about what's the reward? Or is it, is it Bechal talking about reward? Well, and if it's not talking about reward, so what, what are we talking about? We know that the first pasuk is about learning and keeping the mitzvot. And Rashi introduced us to the concept of Amal Torah. And the second pasuk seems to be about the reward. But we look at it carefully, it doesn't really sound like there's much reward implied. So Rashi kind of looks behind the words and he comes up with some sort of a reward. When it comes to, comes to the Geshem, the reward is minuscule. When it comes to the Ilan Esrach, the reward is, uh, is greater. Okay? So now, if you look at, uh, look at Pasuk uh, Vav. One second. Yes, Vav, Pasuk Vav. Kudatati Shalom Ba'aretz. There's reward. Kudatati Shalom Ba'aretz. Peace. It's something, a topic that we have uh, been able to avoid in the last 24 hours. You'll be able to lie down and not be afraid. There won't be. Bad animals. I guess animals that prey on other animals and, and people. They will kind of be rested, put away. So this sounds like a real a real reward, the kind of reward that we would be interested in. If you look at Rashi, look at Rashi, Vinatati Shalom Ba'aretz, Shematomru, Arei Ma'achal Ba'arei Mishteh, we have food and we have drink, Imein Shalom, ain't clue. Rashi was a left winger, according to Chazal. According you know, straight out of the handbook of the of the lo- of the left wingers, he says, "Im ain't shalom, ain't clue, ain't clue, because if there's no peace, whatever we get is not worth anything because it could disappear." Talmud lomar, achar kol zot, v'natati shalom ba'aretz. So therefore, the pasuk says, after it says you'll have the rain, after it says you'll have the fruit of the trees, then you could have shalom. Mikan shalom shakul 
So we know that from this pasuk, that shalom is the ultimate, the ultimate benefit that you could have is called shalom. V'chein hu omer oseh shalom uvorei et hakol. V'chein hu omer oseh shalom uvorei et hakol. You recognize that? Yes, you recognize that. But of course it's wrong. Right? The Pasuk in Yishayahu, he says, Yotzer over Chosech, Oseh Shalom, Uvorei, Ra. Uvorei Ra. And the Chazal were afraid that people would take that as being an approval of Zoroastrianism. The Persian religion. I know it's not... It's not politically correct to mention Persia at this time, but they have an ancient religion. Not too many people left. They, they gave it up for other enterprises. Very few Zoroastrians left, but at the time of Chazal, the Zoroastrians were very popular and powerful. And they believed that there was Tov and there's Ra, and that there's a constant struggle between the good and the bad, and eventually the good will win out, but until that happens, we have to struggle, which is more or less, more or less what the Balatanya said in the Tanya chapters 9 and 10, uh, more or less. I don't think that the Balatanya knew about Zoroastrianism, but the idea became very popular in the world, and uh, reappears in the in the Tanya, and reappears in the Tanya. So again, uh, okay. So Rashi does not relate to that part of the pasuk that says Vishpati Chayara Amina Aretz, but this pasuk Vishpati Chayara Amina Aretz was the subject of a major dispute between the Rambam and the Ramban, right? The Rambam and the Ramban. They both looked at the Pasuk in Yeshayahu, which is very well-known and popular in a way, which said, Vigar Ze'ev in Keves, that the Ze'ev is a wolf, something like that, will lie with the sheep. That was a description of the peacefulness of Acharit Hayamim. The end of days, there will be so much peace that even the natural enemies in the animal kingdom will be peaceful. The Rambam says it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. Because the Rambam was that of the opinion that unless the Torah tells you it's a principle that God does not change his, so to speak, position. So if he made the Ze'ev in one way and the Keves was as a prayer and the Keves was played upon, that's always going to remain. So what did the Navi mean when he said Keves? The Navi meant that politically Am Yisrael, which was always a Keves, and the nations of the world, which are always wolves, in the Achrit Yamim, they'll be able to put up with each other. They won't want to destroy each other. That's what Atati Shalom Ba'aretz. The Vigar Zeven Keves. Along comes the Ramban. The Ramban theologically is also very interesting. 
The Rebman says, first of all, if the Prophet said, the Gar of the Avim Kebis, so it'll be, the Gar of the I mean, how could the, the Rambam deny the prophecy of the, uh, of the Prophet, Prophet Yeshayahu? And the second thing, so the second thing he said was, why do we have to think that God won't change anything in creation in order to reward us? But perfectly reasonable to say that God will reward us in that way. So this interesting theology, which can, goes back, in fact, to this to this pasuk, this pasuk that says Vishbati Chayara Amin Haaretz. It says with Feirush, but now we don't know whether Vishbati Chayava Amin Haaretz means this Chayara won't be there; they'll just disappear, or that somehow. The Chayara'a will be like Ga'ar Zevim Keves, and it just won't do anything harmful anymore. It'll be quiet and peaceful. So this machloket, this machloket also exists in the light of these psukim. The light of these psukim. It's very hard for us to know whether the psukim are talking about a reward, and if it's a reward, is a change in, in the nature of things, or the things go on the way they were. So let's just look quickly at, uh, at this Likute Halachot, which is uh, a little uh, extraordinary. I just want to, to focus on the question that he asks. You see, Yud Aleph, Likute Halachot. This is where the Rambam? This is, no, this is uh, Rav Notson. Rav Notson, the Talmud of Rav Nachman of Brasla. He says, Ve'im b'chokotai sh'teimechot mitzvotai tishmeru, so by the time Rav Nachman of Bratzla, by the time the 18th century rolled around, people were worrying or wondering about these psukim in a different way. And that different way was, how come the Torah tells us that we'll be rewarded in Olam Hazeh for doing the right thing? Why doesn't the Torah tell us that we'll be rewarded in Olam Haba? Because by that time, by that time, we had all agreed somehow that there was no way to determine the state of reward and punishment that Olam Hazeh. Even though we, we accepted it as a principle, we couldn't understand it. Right? The Navi Yirmiyahu, right? Madua Derech Rishaim Tzalecha Shalu Kol Bodei Baget. That's what the Navi Yirmiyahu said. Madua Derech Rishaim Tzalecha. How come the wicked seem to do very well? They're, they go along happily. Shalu called Bogdei Beget. Shalu it means shalom. The same word that's in our psukim. Shalom lechol Bogdei Beget. The ones who deny the Torah, deny the mitzvot. Right? That's what Yirmiyahu asked. Now, from the time of Yirmiyahu, you know that Yirmiyahu was the prophet of the Churban Beit Hamikdash, right? The destruction of the temple, and 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 he reflected certainly something of what the people felt. I mean, the people 
deserved punishment. They they received this terrible punishment, the Khurban Beit HaMikdash. And if you said to you, if you said why, why were they get I mean, okay, they did they transgressed. But but what did they do that was so terrible that they deserved the total upheaval of the world in which they lived? So along comes Yirmiyahu and he says, I'll ask the question. I have a question. I don't understand about how reward and punishment works. I look around, I see bad people who live good lives. And I see good people who live, live difficult lives. So if Yirmiyahu said it, right now I'm asleep, right? If Yirmiyahu said it, I'm sure that lesser people in the Jewish world thought it. They said to themselves, well, maybe God is not interested. Maybe God is not with us. Maybe God is not, I mean, I, there's no point in, in relying on mitzvot to give, me a better, to give me a better deal in life. And therefore, and therefore, we tended to ignore the reality within the context of Sacharabonesh. We, meaning, not me, but Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael, we said, we sort of like could live with it. Whatever, whatever you got, that's what you got. You know, that there, there are people who talk like that, right? You get, you know, you get a good, a fair deal, or like you deserve it, or then these ideas that uh, that if you use up your schuyot in olam hazeh, you get, you get it back in olam haba. You know, you know those kind of ideas, which you hear at funerals sometimes. Uh, I don't know anything about that. I, I don't know anything about that. But what I think it reflects is the inability to evaluate the world from the perspective of God. I mean, I mean, what do we know? We don't know how God thinks about it. And if we try to give God our thoughts, then we end up against a brick wall. Like, we don't know how to, how to deal with that. So by the time Rav Nachman of Bratzler came along, Right? By the time Rabbi Basu came along, people were asking, not what do these psukim say, but why are they there at all? Because in our history, in our history of 2,000 or 3,000 years, like 3,000 years of history, we have not been able to figure out how the reality reflects goodness and badness on the part of the people who are, who are involved. So that's Rav Nachman of Bratzler's question. He says, why is it, why is it that the Torah talks to us about Olam Hazet and not about Olam Haba? Because we can't figure out what's going on in Olam Hazet. Olam Haba is something we don't know anything about. So if somebody will come and tell us Olam Haba, you know, you get uh, fresh fruit every day, or you get fresh squeezed Tropicana orange juice. So good. So I get it. You know, like, I understand that. And that the tzaddikim are going to be the first ones online to get the orange juice, and everybody else will be in the back. I understand that also. That's fine. And then I, I don't ask myself anymore about the reality of things. I don't ask about the reality of things. So if you look at, if you look at the Rav Nachman, Let's skip down to. Let's skip down. No, or not skip down. It's just a lot, a lot here. Yeah. 
Rav Nossin says this. If you look at the second paragraph, Yud Aleph is the first section. The second paragraph in the first section starts with the word Be'emet. Be'emet is sort of like a word that introduces a conclusion. Right? Be'emet. Lo yadati mikara makakashi lahula mefarshim mashe iskiru hatarayi udim gashmiyim. He said, I don't understand the question. Why? The question was, why does the Torah talk about things you're going to get? Yehudim, uh, the goals, which are gashmiyim, which have to do with, uh, with the physical reality in Olam Hazeh. Halo mefaresh beparasha hazot yehudim ruchaniyim shehem ikar hatachlit bolam hazeh bolam abba lanetzach he says, he says, if you read on in the parasha, you'll see, you'll see that the, the parasha talks about, about spiritual uh, gains, not only physical gains, that's only in the beginning, but later on it talks about spiritual gains as well. Several psukim ahead, the Torah says, I will put my Beit HaMikdash within you. So he says that's, that's a spiritual goal. That's not, uh, not something that has to do with your physical, uh, your physical self. This is what happens in the Beit HaMikdash. Beit HaMikdash, you, uh, you uh, achieve Da'at. What is Da'at? That is the uh, capacity that you have to understand God, to communicate yourself somehow with God. That's that. And then the Pasuk says, I will go in your midst. So that's, that's certainly spiritual. So there is a question why, why there's a, a, a connection in the parasha to Birkat Achila, the Haparnasa, Laftachat, Vehitalachti, Litochechem. It's not kind of a mishmash. Achalpi Hakdama, Hanora Ahanal, Shagila, Adonenu, Morenu, Rabenu, Zichrono, Livracha, you know who that is. The Torah, Anal, Sha'al Yidei Ha'arat Hadat Anal, Shehu Bechinat Shmirat HaTorah VaMitzvot, Sochin Laharat Light Up the Ratzon Bishat Ha'achila Daika Kanal. So, so uh, what he's quoting, what he's quoting, and I think uh, you'll have to, uh, after I just want to summarize what he says. He says that it is his position, which is not just his position, but it's, it's his way of saying it. But the, what he's talking about is that there's, it's true, there's Gashmiyut and there's Ruchaniyut. And they're different from one from the other, right? And Ruchaniyut is something that we strive for. And Gashmiyut is something that we try to keep under control. If you would uh, ever learn the Tanya, I think I mentioned that book, right? Uh, if you learn the Tanya, 
the Tanya is based on the idea that we are engaged in a struggle. Always, we're always struggling to somehow overcome the Ra in us with the good in us. And that's that nothing to do with whether we do the mitzvot or we don't do them. I mean, no. It, let me say it this way. It has nothing to do with doing the mitzvot. If we do the mitzvot and we keep the halachot and we learn the Torah, we still have a struggle. We still have to, to, uh, to, to struggle to overwhelm the Ra, which is part of our creation, by the Tov, which is part of our, our creation. And, and uh, the Balatanya refers to something that's called Klipat Noga. Klipot, Klipot are shards. You know what a shard is? <laughs> So they say, you know, sometimes, sometimes when I read the Hebrew, I don't understand it. And then I read the translation in English, I really don't understand it. But this is, these, are, these are shards. Shards are broken pieces of pottery. And the theory was that HaKadosh Baruch wanted to put light into the world. And there were supposed to be containers that would contain the light. And the light was so powerful that it broke apart the, uh, the containers and produced shards. And the shards have to be redeemed somehow because you want, you want to get the world to be the way God wanted it to be. And right now, the world is not the way God wanted it to be because it's got these broken shards. One of the, and those broken shards have names, of course, and they have higher ones and lower ones. And one of the shards is called Noga. Noga is like twilight, like light and dark together, you know, the day when the day ends. So Klipad Noga represents the idea that there's a mishmash of good and bad. Because after all, what broke the Kalim was light. The light is good. The breaking is not good. But one of the shards became the mixture, the mixture shard of, of Tovara. So that everybody, everybody, according to the Tanya, is, is in this struggle of good and bad. But in order to be victorious, in order to be victorious in the struggle uh, of the good over the bad, you have to be victorious in the Olam HaGashmi. In other words, if the Gashmi world means not so good, in other words, if we Let's say we have a, we have tavot, we have desires, and desires often lead us to like a bad place. So let's say uh, you know that you got to you got to eat in order to live. So I've heard, you got to eat according to live. You can do it to live, but eating is a desire, and sometimes that desire leads us astray. So what we have to do. Again, I'm trying to explain what the Tanya says. What you have to do is get to the point where you're only eating to keep yourself alive, but you're not eating to fulfill your desire. Because eating to fulfill your desire, I mean, that's a bad thing, because desire can lead you astray. Now, you need the desire. Because if you didn't have the desire, how would you know that you're hungry? I mean, somehow you've got to know. So, so that's, what, that's what it is. 
That's what it is. So along came Rav Nachman, as interpreted here by Rav Nossel, who says, remember the question? The question was, why is it that all the rewards written in these psukim at the beginning of the parasha are about things in the world, right? Like Geshem and Pri, right? It's, why, why are they all of that? He says, that's the reward. The reward is that you'll be able to overcome the desire because you'll see the trees and the rain and the animals and the war and the peace as part of the divine will and the way the world was made and created. And that will enable you, that will enable you to overcome, to overcome what has to be, what has to be overcome. So his question was, why is it that the Torah talks about physical reward, reward in this world? And his answer is because that's the ultimate reward that you could get to somehow prepare yourself for Olam Haba. That was the measure. The measure was not doing mitzvot. That goes without saying. The, the, the measure was not listening to the divine uh, edicts. That goes without saying. The measure was reproducing a new person, a person who is not obvious or obviously part of the world because, because the desire that he has for things, that he has, that she has for things, doesn't enable a kind of spiritual commitment. So people have, have looked at it in different ways over the years. So people have tried being hermits and trying being monks and trying being nuns and trying be, being uh, meditative kinds of people. But it was all in order to overcome what they saw as being their basic personality defects, which as an idea, you know, may make sense. I mean, I'm not sure. I can't, I can't make a judgment about that. But there's no doubt, there's no doubt that this question that Rav Nossin asks is answered by himself in the same way that the Balatanya answers it, and maybe in the same way that Rashi answers that when we've seen Rashi. And you go back to, uh, to the idea that, uh, that uh, nature does not drive you away from your, from your main purpose. Ta'ava, ta'ava, the word ta'ava, which is desire, which is something that's built into you. It's not something that, uh, that is accidental. And it's something that you need, right? It's something that you need. So the Ramban, the Ramban who came a long time before Rav Nosen, the Ramban about Kedoshim Tiyu, you remember? The Ramban says Kedoshim Tiyu means that you have an obligation to look at the Torah and to decide that the Torah wants you to control your desire. And therefore, if you look at the Torah, you see that eating is a, is a difficult process. If you want to eat a piece of bread, you have to go through uh, like 10 different mitzvot from the time you have wheat in the field, standing wheat, until you get it into a piece of bread. So, so you could see that the Torah wants you to be circumspect about eating. Now, that's that's not the mitzvot. You have to do the mitzvot. In any case, you have to do the mitzvot, but you could do the mitzvot and not be circumspect. You could do the mitzvot and overeat and and eat in a a way that is very uh, uh, unnoble. Uh, But but the Torah wants you 
to look at the this is the Ramban, right? The Torah wants you to look at your desire and find a way to control it so that it serves you but doesn't mislead you. And here Rav Nosson comes along 500 years, 400 years later and Rav Nosson says, look, that's what the psukim mean. In Bechukotai Telechu, you live in a different world. You live in a world where the Geshem is, uh, is something that you get and the pre is something that you have. And, and that different world, that different world is the world represented by the beginning of the, of the parasha, in and that's why Rashi emphasizes the idea of Amal Torah, because Amal Torah, Amal Torah is not practical. It's not something that, uh, uh, that shows you the way to a particular mitzvah. It's just a way of being. And a way of being accommodates the idea that Rav Nasser, hundreds of years later, uh, pointed to, and that the Balatanya points to in his chapters, you know, the ninth and tenth chapter. Okay, I'm finished. No, I'm not finished, I'm stopping.